you know, there is this uh, sense that people have, sometimes have people have this sense that there's these scales, these cosmic scales, and if your good outweighs your bad, then that then you're okay with God. As long as you're doing more good than bad, then you're out, then you're doing okay. There, but the more common misconception is that uh, there is this ladder that you have to climb. It's like at the top of this ladder, you find God. And when you get to that point, you will be in a right relationship with God and everything's going to be good between you and God. But there are certain things that you have to take care of before you will get there. And uh, I've heard so many people say, yeah, preacher, I want to come to church, but uh, I, uh, I just have some things I've got to take care of first. And uh, the thing is, you don't even have to come to church to get right with God, but that's the way that they will put it. And so they uh, are wanting to uh, uh, get their lives cleaned up. They think they have to clean their lives up before they come to God. And that's kind of like taking a bath before you take a shower. You know, uh, you come to him to be cleaned. You're never going to get cleaned up on your own. And you're going to need his help in doing those things that, yes, you know need to be taken care of, but you're not going to be able to do it on your own. And you're never going to get to the place where you're good enough to where your goodness is what gets you into heaven and gets you into righteousness. And so uh, this is what we want to look at today, because you see, no matter how hard you work to try to please God, you're never going to be good enough to please him with your very best attempts at righteousness. The way that this truth is often twisted and played out in our church world goes something like this. Even though you may admit, well, I know I'm never going to be good enough. Your spiritual enemy is going to use this and uh, he, he will try to talk you out of doing things that you know God wants you to do. It's like, well, uh, you want to make a difference in church? Who do you think you are? You know you're not good enough. I mean, you think you could lead a Bible study and, and teach other people uh, out of the Bible? You don't know much about the Bible yourself. And as soon as you start, someone's going to ask a question and you're not going to know the answer. You're not, not good enough. And I don't know how many times I've heard people tell me, you know, I just don't know the Bible well enough. The best way to learn something is to teach it, people. That's the best way to learn is to teach. And so, uh, and if you don't know the answer, you just say, well, that's something I'd like to know too. I'll find out. I'll get back with you. And then you grow. But you don't wait till you're never going to know it all. You're never going to get started unless you accept the fact that you're, you just need to get started and God is going to be with you. Look at Moses. He called, the Lord called him to lead the children of Israel. So, but, but, but I can't do that. I, I, I stutter, you know. Um, every now and then you'll find that I have a speech impediment. I wind up stuttering from time. When I get tired, my tang gets tangled. And so uh, anyway, so just, uh, but if I, if I put off till I got over that to get started, I would still be waiting to get started 40 years down the road. But uh, so you can miss out 
on what God has in store for you if you keep waiting till you're, you think that you're good enough. If he's called you, you're good enough. If he puts a job before you, you're good enough for that job because it's not your goodness he's after. He's after your obedience and he's after your willingness. And he's looking for you to show that you really care about him and not necessarily what other people think about you. Uh, anyway, just moving on down. You see, one of the things that you have to recognize is that in order to be what God wants you to be, you need to recognize that you will never be and uh, uh, be, be good enough. That's one, There's several things you're not going to be, and good enough is one of them. But that's not really bad news when you see it through God's eyes. In fact, to recognize that I can't please God by my works frees me to serve him, not out of an effort to gain his approval, but instead out of the approval that I already have in Jesus Christ. And there is such a difference. And that is why the verse that we read this morning uh, it's one of my verses that I live out of because I have so many shortcomings. And whenever I'm really beating myself up over my shortcomings, the Lord always reminds me of this, where he told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. My power is perfected in weakness. The less likely a candidate you are to do something for God, the more glory he gets whenever he accomplishes it through you. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So Paul goes on to say, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. You see, it's whenever we realize how weak we are that we can really realize the real power of Jesus Christ at work in us. If you look at some of the greatest leaders in Scripture, you're going to see that they recognized that they were never, ever going to be good enough. Look at Abraham, the father of faith. He said uh, in Genesis 18:27. Whenever God called him, he didn't say, hey, Lord, I'm the man. That's not what he said. You know what he said instead? He said, I am nothing but dust and ashes. What could you ever do with me? I am burnt out and spent. I am, I have flamed out already, Lord. I'm an old man. I am but dust and ashes. That's what God glorifies himself through dust and ashes. I am nothing but dust and ashes. Isaiah, when he saw uh, saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple, uh, he said, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. We honor God on the Sabbath and then we deny him all week. That's who I am. He said, I don't have it. what it takes to even be in the presence of a holy God. Peter, 
when he saw the miracle that Jesus had performed by telling him where to cast his net out and to pull in, uh, and he brought in all those fish, and he realized that he was in the presence of the Messiah. He didn't say, I am so glad that you're here. Instead, he fell to his knees and he said, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. He said, basically, I'm not good enough to be in your presence. I'm not good enough. Paul in 1 Timothy, he said, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I was what? The worst of all, he says. I was the worst of all. I want you to notice what these four uh, things here or these four different leaders and what they say. Listen to, he says, he says, I am nothing. I don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough. I'm the worst of all. I'm the least deserving. As I was looking at those main statements, those people, people mentioned, it reminded me of a belief system that many, many people have. The first part of that belief system that they live out of is, I am a bad and unworthy person. The second tenet in that belief system is, if others knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. And then the belief system goes on. But you see those first two tenets of that particular belief system put you in a place to where you don't think that you're worthy of God and you think that other people could never really like the real you. And so you put on a front, you wear a mask, you pretend to be someone other than the wonderful person that God created you to be because you want people to like you and you hope that maybe if you wear that mask long enough, maybe God will like you too. But you know, that's not the way it works. You see, there's something about grace that's very important. And that is the less grace is deserved, the more gracious the bestower of grace is. I've mentioned this before, but I the definition of mercy and grace. Some people get these confused. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. Grace is when you do get what you do not deserve. In Romans 3.23 is a verse that can pretty well set you free. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The most righteous one of ones of us here today have sinned and we've fallen short. Every one of us, we all fall short of God's standard. And so for many of us, when our spiritual enemy starts to tell us, you're not good enough, he takes truth and he uses it in a way that brings condemnation. And many of us slip into what's called the performance trap. We take on this idea that we could only be just a little better you just try a little harder, maybe you're going to get to that place. And uh, that's why many people, many of us are perfectionists, and uh, we start to feel this false sense of pride and security when we're performing well. And then we also feel a false sense of condemnation and guilt when we're not performing well. We slip into the performance trap. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to live in the performance trap. He says in Philippians, the third chapter, the fourth through the ninth verses, recounting uh, where he was before he met the Lord on the road. 
And the Lord said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute? He was being the best he knew how to be for God. And Jesus asks him that question. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith where he says, as to the law, blameless, that is a mind-blowing statement if you understand he was a Pharisee. You know, you we struggle trying to keep 10 commandments. They had 613, and he says he was blameless. He was doing pretty good. If anybody was almost walking on water, you would think it would be Paul. And yet, none of that had him on the right track, did it? So how does this play out in the world today? How do you experience the destruction of this works, righteousness, performance mentality? Two ways. First of all, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, You, if you're taking notes, many of us attempt to please God by following rules. And we talked about how uh, that's a false standard of measurement because the rules vary depending on what church you go to, what denomination you're in. We talked about uh, different rules. One, one church I know, denomination I know, has like 12 different rules. If you keep all their rules, then you're in like Flint. And you're the only ones going to heaven. You know, that's really cool. Just do these 12 things and you're, or do or don't. Some of them are don'ts. Some of them are do's. Do and don't do those things. You can do anything else it's as long as you follow this list. You know, that's a false standard. Uh some people would say, well, you know, if I feel good about God, then God must feel good about me because of what I do. And others would say, well, I feel good about God or God feels good about me based on uh, what I don't do. You know, some people have their list of do's, other people have their list of don'ts. Uh, well, you know, I must be okay with God because I read my Bible every day, you know. I'm, or I, instead of saying I must be, most people say I hope. Most people have a hope so religion. If you ask them, are you going to heaven? They'll say, I hope so. Not many people say, I know so. And the Christian faith is meant to be a know-so religion, not a hope-so religion. Other people, as I said, base their faith or base their relationship with God and how they hope their relationship is by what they don't do. And I don't know, whenever you're talking about that, uh, you know, the question I like to ask is, uh, suppose you were to die tonight and you stood before God and he asked you, so-and-so, 
Why should I let you into my heaven? There are a lot of people that would say, well, you know, I, I, I tried to be good. Uh, I, I did the best I can. Uh, I, I tried to read my Bible and, and, and do things. I hope, I hope I'm good enough. And others will say, well, I had been too bad. I didn't kill, I hadn't killed anybody. But you know, there are going to be people in heaven that kill people. Uh, anyway, you know, in fact, I won't go into all that, but. Uh, the thing is, they always bring up, I'd never killed anybody. Like, that's a real accolade, you know. And I, let's face it, in this culture, it's getting to where it's being more uh, more uncommon, you know, to not have killed somebody. This is getting bad, isn't it? But uh, anyway, what you don't do, uh, that's another thing that people go by. Uh, so uh, we attempt to please God by following our standards of rules. It's the performance trap. When we're doing good, we feel good. When we don't feel, when we don't feel like we're doing good, we feel bad. We feel far from God. The second area uh, is we start to believe that our worth, what we are worth, is based how we produce and how we perform. Preachers, it's how their church is doing. If the church is doing good, if the church is growing, uh, then uh, they feel good and they're on the right track and they must be right with God. If the church is shrinking, oh Lord, something's wrong with me. You know, uh, anyway, there's, and, and, and all of us, you know, we, we get positive feed, but we, feedback, we feel better and we feel good. But if somebody criticizes us, even whenever what they're criticizing us about may be a godly thing, it knocks the props out from under our value isn't based on what we do or don't do. Our value is not based on our productivity or our performance. Our value is based on something totally different. But Paul, as I said, was in this performance trap. And remember what he said about uh, all the good works that he did? He said, uh, my religious works were nothing but a load of Rubbish, and that word is skubalon. Skubalon is the Greek word. And whenever they translate it rubbish, they're doing a really nice translation of it. I'll give you an idea as to what skubalon is. Uh, some of you may not realize I suffer from, uh, uh, let's see what, CPTSD. That's cat post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, I have had... A lot of bad experiences with cats. And uh, one that I had uh, that put me in this spot. Yeah, I'm trying to overcome it. I'm, I'm working on it. And I've gotten to the point to where uh, I've gotten, you know, for a long time, the best I could say is I'm, I'm, I'm getting where I, I'm, I'm, I'm liking cats. I just can't eat a whole one yet. But I am... Uh, but the, the way this, one of the places this started was, uh, I, we were moved, we always had cats in the house. So we were moving from, uh, from, let's see, we're moving to Jacksonville, Texas, from Maud, Texas. We were coming down the road. We had all of our belongings in the car and the cat was riding in the car with me. And she wasn't happy just sitting there, not in the car, in the truck, the, the U-Haul van. Or truck, a big trailer, big truck. So anyway, we were moving and the cat is unhappy and she's meowing. And so she crawls up in my life and she gets comfortable I mean, in my, in my lap and she's feeling okay. So we're driving along there. 
we get at this place where there's no nothing but a cliff, a sandstone cliff on one side of the road and a look, beautiful scenic lookout on the other. And all of a sudden I feel this really warm feeling in my lap. And this smell just fills the cab of the truck. And what has happened, our cat has dumped a load of cat scubalon in my lap. All of my clothes are in the very back of the, the, there's no way to get to my clothes. There's no way to pull over. I've got all this stuff, you know, uh, going on here. Finally, I find a place where I can pull over. Best I can find is a stick to get this scubalon off of my trousers. And so I scrape myself off as best as I can. And then just get back in the car and just start praying, Lord, Please don't let there be anybody there at the parsonage when I get there. I please let, let there be time for me to get in and get some different clothes on or something. So we pull up, and there in front of the parsonage are 25 people <laughs> grinning, waiting to meet the new preacher. And he gets out looking like he rolled around on the barnyard floor and just. Uh, so, anyway, that was. Uh, you know, there's a point driving along. I want to take Wendy, the cat, and just go 70 miles an hour. You know, just but I knew it wouldn't be right. The kids would be traumatized. I would have felt so much better, but didn't do it. So anyway, you see, that is scuba on. That's the way that that Paul saw finally that God saw his good works, his things done apart from the Lord, or just scuba on. Another cat uh, illustration of this is how many of you ever had a cat bring a dead animal and leave it on your doorstep? If you have, raise your hand. Now, you know that's an act of love. Did you know that? It's not a threat. It's not, this is going to happen to you next, buddy. That's not what's going on there. Instead, what's going on there is they are trying to help you learn how to hunt because they love you. And so they're starting, that's the way they do their children. They bring them dead animals, and then they start bringing them injured animals. And then, you know, that's, and so what they're starting to do is trying to help you, you know, when they're doing Anyway, uh, but see, that, that gift that they give you, that li mangled lizard or whatever it is, that is scuba law. That is the way, just the, how we would feel toward that. That's how our good works look toward the Lord. So it's not, you see, our good works. But so uh, uh, he goes on, he talks about how uh, his good works. And then he goes on, and he says he's doing all this. But then he says, but when God called me by his grace. But when God. Anytime you find but God in a sentence, in the Bible, you know something wonderful is going to follow it. In fact, I want to do a sermon one of these days on big butts in the Bible because they are just such a, there's so, such wonderful things follow that. But uh, anyway, the problem is many people want to say, but when I, and here it goes, but when I am good enough, then I can make a difference for God. But when I finally get a little more understanding 
of God's word, then I can teach the Bible. But when I get my prayer life where it needs to be, I can be a prayer. Life. But when I get the sin out of my life that's been bothering me for so long, then I'll be able to make a difference. But when I get my life straightened out, you see, then I'll be able to be bold at work. But when I get my marriage back on track, when uh, I, uh, you see, it's but when I, it's not but when I, it's but when God. Let's face it, if you could be good enough, Jesus would not have had to go to the cross. He knew you were going to mess up. And that's why he made provision for you not being good enough. That's why you surrender your life to him and him alone. And here's the key statement. It's this. When I realize that God accepts me through Christ, I am no longer living for his approval, but from his approval. You see the difference? We don't live for his approval. We live from his approval. Some of you have been trapped in this performance trap and you feel like you're never good enough, always too bad. But let me tell you, that ladder that you've been trying to climb, that ladder is an illusion. That ladder is not there. That ladder has never been there. Instead, you know what's there? There's a cross. Yeah, there is a piece of wood that's involved in you getting into a right relationship with God. But it's not a ladder that you climb and get to the top of it and discover God's put five more rungs on the ladder. That's not it. It's a cross. And as you look at that cross, you find that cross is empty. And that cross is empty because the work has already been done. The work is finished. Jesus said so as he hung there. It is finished. All that stuff that you've been trying to take care of and get right and all, it is finished. It's already taken care of. It's done. It was taken care of by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you know what? The empty tomb is there to prove that his work was sufficient. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us know that we can be free. Thank you that uh, you have made it clear to us that it's not about trying to get to you. It's about receiving the hand that you have reached out to us already through the cross. Thank you, Lord, for such a great love that you sacrificed so deeply to take care of what we've been trying to take care of ourselves. Forgive us, Lord, when we've been looking at that ladder instead of looking at the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.